Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. The sermon series is Dark Horses, Jesus Picks His Team, and the first sermon is entitled Jesus and the Demon-Possessed Guy. Jesus and the Demon-Possessed Guy. Yep, we're talking about demon possession today. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word today, you would give us insight. This is our prayer. You would give us understanding. This is our heart's desire. And more than anything, we ask for your presence in the room today. God, you have drawn in your people to this place. You have filled my mouth with your words. Now we pray that this place would be filled with your presence, that we would know and understand the passage that you have for us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Luke chapter four, verse 31 and following. Then he went into Capernaum. That is, Jesus went into this little village called Capernaum. Now, it was the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. So the Bible tells us, we pick up from our last passage, Jesus is a traveling preacher at this point in his life. He's going from village to village, town to town, city to city, in a region called Galilee. Here's a map of the region of Galilee. I want you to see a map, and that blue section in the middle, let's go to that map if we have it. The blue section, that's the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is going around to all these different villages. This map only shows a few of the different villages, but there were uh, dozens and dozens of these villages. He would go in, he would arrive at the synagogue, on Saturday, he would stand up and open the scrolls and teach from the word of God about himself, the coming Messiah. Now he arrives in a place called Capernaum. Capernaum is the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John, his future disciples, his future followers. It's really called here in the passage a city, but it's not in the understanding of what your modern day city would think of. It's more of a fishing village right on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, you can visit it to this day. Here are the ruins of Capernaum. In fact, the, this photograph is gonna show you the picture of the actual synagogue where Jesus taught. Let's go and go to that photograph. This is the actual synagogue, not a synagogue like it. This is the actual uh, archaeological dig that you can go to. You can stand right there. You can sit there. I go there whenever we do travel tours and we sit and we have a Bible study, study this passage and others right there in this location. Jesus physically, literally, historically stood right here and taught the passage we're going to walk through right now. And it is in this synagogue that Jesus meets a demon-possessed man on this Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, by the way, is not a small place. If you see this photograph, you'll see it's a vast, wide freshwater lake, 13 miles long and, and uh, eight, uh, 18 miles long, excuse me, and 13 miles wide. It's a very vast body of water, and Jesus is about to teach there. Verse 32, and they were astonished at his teaching, the crowd that was with Jesus. It packed in that day, and they were shocked at how good of a teacher Jesus was was, for his word was with authority. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. Now, when I say that, it wasn't just an oratory skill that Jesus had. He wasn't just a good speech 
uh, uh, speaker. He wasn't just somebody who could talk well in front of a crowd. He spoke differently than the scribes of his day. In fact, the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew tell us that Jesus spoke with authority, not like the rest of the teachers, not like the scribes. You see, those people, when they taught, they, they liked to build up their credibility by quoting people from the past. They would teach a passage. They would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so from 100 years ago and Rabbi so-and-so from 400 years ago, Rabbi so-and-so from 500 years ago. They all agreed with me. And it was like footnote after footnote after footnote. And it was extremely boring and extremely tedious. Jesus did not teach that way. Jesus spoke and he didn't need to quote anybody because he himself was the very word of God. So he spoke with authority, not as the scribes. This is not just his delivery, this was his divinity. And that's why the people loved hearing Jesus teach. Now it goes on, he says uh, in verse 33, now in the synagogue, that is in this like, we, we would understand it like a church setting like this, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Stop. Could you, like could you, could you imagine what that would be like? You come to church, you're sitting there, you're singing the songs, you're having a good time, you hear the guy speaking. Jesus is the special speaker, not a bad Sunday, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, a demon-possessed guy stands up in the middle of the service and starts confronting Jesus in the middle of the service. How many of you agree this would be weird? In your mind, a demon-possessed person stands up in the way we would think about a demon-possessed person is they have scabs on their face, their hair is green, you know, their head turns around, projectile vomit, right? Because we saw the same movies, right? And so this is what a demon-possessed person we think of in the 20th and 21st century. And this is what stands up. And now let's see how this interaction goes. Jesus and the demon-possessed guy. I grew up in the 1980s. And uh, so... When I was growing up as a kid, man, I grew up in church, but I also grew up in the 1980s, so I was scared to death of demons. Demons scared me because, you know, uh, the movies of the time, Poltergeist and Exorcism, a bunch of other movies I wasn't allowed to watch, but I saw the commercials, so they scared me. Just the commercials scared me. That's how scared of them. I mean, you got Ozzy Osbourne out there biting heads off of bats. I'm like, oh, that guy's demon-possessed for sure, for sure. And not only that, the way I grew up is I grew up in a church and we would have an evangelist come in about once a year, once every other year. And his whole shtick was that he would, um, he would scare everybody about everything in their home having demons. Anybody ever heard like a preacher like this? They're always talking about like everything's got a demon. I remember he was preaching about trolls one day. How many of you remember the trolls from the 80s? He's like, if you got those trolls at your house, he's got like big, the, the big hair coming up, you know? He's like, you go home, you find those trolls, they're under your bed, you take them, you burn those trolls. I'm thinking, oh man. So I went home, we burned our trolls, you know? <laughs> it was weird. I'd look over at my GI Joes and I'm like, they're fine, but I don't know about Cobra. Cobra might have some demons. <laughs> and everybody, everything was scary. Like I looked at my daughter's, my, my sister's Barbies and I'm like, for sure they're demon possessed. And to this day, this is why my parents don't understand why I barbecued those demon-possessed Barbies, you understand? It wasn't my fault, the preacher told me to. And there were demons everywhere, demons under your bed and demons in the TV show you watched. And be careful because when I was 13 years old, I spent the night and somebody had a Ouija board, demons are following me everywhere. Now, some of you come from a religious background like I do, and there was this like weird, overarching nervousness about demons and we're not even sure what's in our house that might have a demon. Scared to death of demons. Again, let me say that again. The people of God scared to death of demons. Let me say that again and let it sink in. 
the people of God scared to death about demons, where we got entire seminars and entire weeks dedicated to study demons and scare people to death. But notice what happens when Jesus meets a demon-possessed man. The Bible says his demon-possessed man stands up in the middle of the synagogue and he cries out with a loud voice saying, get out of here, Jesus, we're in charge. Is that what it says? Demon-possessed man stood up in the synagogue and said, leave us alone. Jesus, Jesus, leave us alone. For what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Let me ask you a question. Is it Jesus who is afraid or the demon who's afraid? I'll say it again. Is Jesus afraid or is the demon afraid? The demon's afraid of Jesus. Now we ask the question, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I love the fact that the demon knows more than the religious people in the church. The demon's like, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. Everybody else is like, wait, hold on, what? You're, who, you're, the, you're the guy, he's the guy? Demon, why? Because the demons recognize Jesus when Jesus arrives. And Jesus is not afraid of the demon. The demon's afraid of Jesus. My question is this. Why is it that the people of God are afraid of the demons of the devil? We come to passages like this. We get all nervous and scared. I even had four sweet church members I put out that was talking about Jesus meets a demon. possessed guy. I had church members message me. They're like, Pastor, I'm not sure I can come. I'm scared the devil's going to get me. Demons are going to be after me. I'm going to walk into church and realize Jesus is the power of all things and then the demons are going to follow me home. The demons aren't going to follow you home because you have Jesus Christ. They're scared to death of Jesus. Now look, look at what the scripture says. Now look at what the scripture says. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus <laughs> rebuked this guy saying, be quiet and come out of him. Jesus doesn't even talk to the guy. He talks to the demon inside the guy and says, hey, shut your mouth, get out of the man. And that's exactly what takes place. And when the demon had thrown this man in the midst of it, remember, the synagogue wasn't set like this. It was set with rows around a circle and the middle was for the teacher to be able to go back and forth and talk. And this demon throws this guy in the middle of the place and comes out of the man and does not hurt the man when he comes out of the man. Now the Bible goes on and it says, verse 36, then they were all amazed and they began to speak among themselves. They begin to whisper and murmur and talk. Can you imagine the whole crowd? It's like, oh my word, we just saw an exorcism. What a word this is. For with authority and power, Jesus commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out throughout the every place and the surrounding region. So they're all amazed and they begin to all talk and village talks to village and people talk to people. And the fame of Jesus spreads because Jesus doesn't have just power over nature. He has power over the supernatural. And this is amazing to people. So now what can we learn from this passage? The main thought of the day, the thesis, if you will, the proposition for this sermon is the same proposition I have for the entire five-week sermon series, and that is this. Jesus picks the most surprising people. Jesus, when he's going to pick a team, he picks the, <laughs> he picks the most surprising, surprising people. How many of you remember schoolyard pick? So do I. <laughs> Not fondly. Some of you, some of you guys and girls, like you, you know, everybody lines up and you're like, sure, line up. The lineup was a scary part for me. I always tried to position myself next to, you know, the fat little one. You know what I mean? 
make myself look good, kind of get on my toes a little bit, look at everybody like, I can do this. The problem is they all knew me and they knew I had zero athletic ability. I was, I, I was small, I couldn't do it. And so there you stood there. And what would be shocking to you, I, by the way, there's a lot of guys, I guess, that come here and play basketball here, a bunch of church, I didn't know this until recently. At eight o'clock every Sunday night, a bunch of guys go out here and play basketball from the church and uh, they have a great time. And I've, I've had multiple people invite me. They're like, hey pastor, you should come out and play basketball on Sunday night. And I'm like, you, you don't know me very well. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. You let me play one time and then we'll do schoolyard pick and everybody will be like, don't pick pastor, don't pick him. <laughs> what are we going to do? He keeps coming. <laughs> so imagine we're all lined up. We've got some great athletes out there. I'm showing up. I stand there. Two guys are picked to pick the team and somebody picks me first. You'd be like, what is he doing? Trying to suck up to the pastor, Right. This is who Jesus is, and we're going to see it over the next several chapters. The people Jesus picks to be on his team, let, let me just say this, you would, you would never pick them first. And Luke points us first to this demon-possessed guy. Jesus is like, I'll take you. Demon-possessed person stands up in the middle of this auditorium and starts screaming at the preacher. Every single religious person in the room is like, let's get that guy out of here. Jesus would say, no, no, that's, that, that's actually the one I want. Come here. Dark horses. Now, if we're gonna study this particular story, we're gonna have to begin with point number one in today's sermon. And point number one in today's sermon is, um, what do we know about demons, the truth about demons? You say, demons... Why, why are we going to talk about demons this morning? Well, here's why. Because I'm not just preaching a five-week sermon series um, called Dark Horses. I'm actually teaching through the Gospel of Luke. And from this point in Jesus' ministry, he's going to meet demon-possessed person after demon-possessed person after demon-possessed person. So as he meets these demon-possessed people and he interacts with them, I want to lay a foundation for where we're going to go over the next few months. And every time we interact with a demon-possessed person, I need you to know what we call some theology about demons. It's called demonology. Say it with me. Demonology. Some of you are so nervous. You're like, no, I can't say it. <laughs> so we got to study a little bit about demons so we understand who these people are as we interact with them. Now, when it comes to demonology, the study of Satan and the study of demons, there are three traps that many people fall into. Three traps, and this is all in preparation. The first trap that many people fall into is they become overly obsessed with demons. Say overly obsessed, say it with me. Overly obsessed. They, they see demons and they're like, ooh. They're like interested, you know, like, ooh, tell me more about demons. Some of you are thinking about articles you're gonna send me, YouTube videos that you've been watching. You're gonna buy seven books from Amazon and you're gonna spend the next six years focused on demons. You become overly obsessed and it's a trap. That's not the point of today's sermon. The other trap that some people fall into is... Um, is that of ignoring the reality of demons, right? They're a little cynical, a little skeptical. They're like, yeah, I'm demons. I mean, come on. They're the one with their nose up in the air, even though their head is in the sand. You know what I mean? They're just a little bit better than everyone else. I didn't believe in the spirit world. Maybe God, God perhaps, but demons. And the reason you think this way is because your perspective of demonology is incredibly elementary. Your perspective of demonology is like a red-suited cartoon with a pitchfork and a tail and little horns. I'm going to get you, send you to hell. That's your, the breadth of your understanding of demonology. 
And so you're skeptical, you're better than the rest of us, and you are very, very happy with your head in the sand. And the demons have you exactly where they want you. So one of them, one, one trap you can fall into is obsessing about it and only studying demons. The other trap is to ignore it and act like it doesn't exist because you know, your, your mind is bigger than that. There's only the material world, good luck. There's a third trap, and I'm gonna save that third trap to the end of the sermon. So what do we need to know about demons? The truth about demons. Number one, demons are fallen angels. Say it with me, fallen angels. You see, the story goes like this. The Bible tells us there was a war in heaven. In fact, it tells us this in Revelation chapter 12. There was a war in heaven and it broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Who's the dragon? Satan. And so the Bible tells us how this thing begins. Oh, stop. Some of you have this really weird perspective that Jesus and the devil are like these mortal enemies, right? Like Lex Luthor and Superman, like they're always in battle. The Joker and Batman, like they're these, that's not how it works. It's not Jesus versus Satan. Jesus is God, he's over the whole thing. It's what we actually have is Michael, the archangel of the angels, and you have Lucifer or Satan over the demons. That's the battle, you see? So now what we've got is we've got this giant fight going on in heaven, but they did not prevail. That is, the demons didn't win, nor was a place found in heaven any longer for them. So Michael and his angels kick Satan and his demons, fallen angels, out from heaven, verse nine. And the great dragon that was cast down, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who who deceives the whole world, was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So this is the, the beginning of demons. They are fallen angels who once were created by God, who once followed God. They rebelled against God. Now they follow Lucifer and they think they're going to win. But deep down, they know they're not going to. Which leads us to our second thought. Number one, they are fallen angels. Number two, future destruction. The future destruction of demons is their divine destiny. They will be destroyed, utterly defeated. And though they hope they will win, they cannot win against Christ. We know this because multiple times when Jesus meets a demon-possessed person, like the one we just read, they're freaked out. The demon gets freaked out. They lose their mind. They're like, oh no, it's him. Yeah, it's him. Back off, buddy, right? In fact, look at what it says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 29. Jesus interacts with the demon-possessed person and says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? See, he knows that there's a day in the future where all of the rebelled angels who have become fallen demons, he knows it's been prophesied that they would be taken and thrown into a special created place. Did you know this? God created a place for his family. We call it heaven. And God created another place. Well, see, this is this is the problem with some of our Christian theology. Let me help some of you, okay? And it, this helped me when somebody told me. Some of us think, falsely so, that God created heaven for the good people and hell for the bad people, right? And so your whole life you've been told, you better be a good person. You're like, I'm trying, but I can't understand what that means. You know what I mean? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you're stressed out constantly. As a religious, oh, you try to block it out of your mind and don't think about death. But then when you do, you're like, I better be a good person. I wanna go to the good place, right? And so you've got this concept of God created heaven for the good people, hell for the bad people. It's not true. God did not do that. God created heaven for his family. And God created hell for the devil and his demons. It's not a place for you. 
as if you're a human being. How many human beings do we have in the room? Can I get an amen? amen. All right, if not, there's area 51. You gotta head there, you know? Like, it's a whole different sermon, you know? It's a whole different thing. How many humans we got here, amen? Okay, so hell is not for you, it's for the devil and his demons. You're part of the family of God. You're part of the descendants of Adam and Eve. Oh, but there's a problem there because as a descendant of Adam and Eve, you have sin. You've sinned against God and so have I. Anybody here ever do something against the Bible? Anybody ever lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, do something you shouldn't do, hurt somebody else, angry, say something you shouldn't? How many of you have screwed up, sinned at least once in your life? Can I get a hand raised? All right, so here's the problem. Even though you're part of the family of God, you've been, well, you've been severed from God's family. And so you can't go when you die, I mean you, not like you collectively, like you individually. You're not allowed to go to the family of God place, heaven, because you have sin. And that sin will one day drag you to a place that was not created for you, hell. So I'm telling you this because I'm concerned for you and I'm really concerned, I'm glad somebody told me. And so what's gonna happen is your sin will drag you to hell unless, unless God adopts you into his family. Now this can happen for you. How does that happen? If you repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you'll be born again and you'll be found in the family of God. So now heaven becomes your home and hell is just the place for the devil and his angels. Does that make sense? Now some of you are like, I'm gonna figure it out on my own. Good luck, you're going to die and split hell wide open. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what the word of God says. That's what the Bible says. Now, now let's go back and understand what happens with these demons. According to Jude verse six, Jude verse six tells us exactly what, go to that next passage. It says, and the angels who did not keep their proper dominion, that is the angels who fell from heaven, they did not keep their original home, but they left their home, they left their abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under the darkness for judgment to the great day. It's talking about the destiny of all demons is hell. If there's any demon in the spiritual realm within the sound of my voice, hear it clearly, you will one day spend eternity in hell apart from God and apart from God's family. That's how it works. That's the future destiny and destination of demons. Fallen angels, future destruction. Number three, finding a home. The goal of a demon is to find a home. Why? Because they're out of heaven. Heaven was their home. You say, hell is the home of, no, no, that's the future damnation and destination. They're looking for a home. You'll find this story throughout all of the Bible. Fallen angels are looking to possess a physical place, a person. This is where demon possession comes from. We see this with Mary of Magdala. She was possessed with seven demons. We see this of the maniac of Gadara, that there were a legion, that is many demons inside of this man. They had found a home, they lived there, you see. Jesus even talks about this concept in, I think, what is it? Luke chapter 11, I think it is. Yeah, Luke chapter 11. Look what Jesus says on the screen. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit, a demon goes out of a man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest, finding none. So the Bible tells us what happens. Demon possessed guy, the demon sometimes occasionally wants to leave. So now the demon leaves. Now this guy is kind of without a demon and he feels like, man, I'm in control of my life. This is kind of nice. And he starts cleaning his life up a little bit, right? Getting some of the bad stuff out of his life, starting to organize his life, getting rid of the addictions. He's starting to set himself straight because the demon that was controlling him is gone for a while. 
Now, the Bible says this demon is having no rest because he likes to live inside of somebody seeking a home. So as this demon goes out, he says, man, I'm finding no rest. I need to return to my house from which I came. And when he comes back, he finds this person and inside of this person, that person is swept and put in order his entire life. And he goes and he takes with them seven other demons more wicked than himself. They enter in and dwell there. The last state of the man is worse than the first. See, there are some people who think to themselves, I think I'm doing pretty good. And the reason you think you're doing pretty good is because your demon has temporarily left you, right? You're, you struggle with your demons and they go away for a little bit and you start to clean up your life a little bit. The problem is it's still just an empty home. You haven't filled it with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what's happening with you is you feel like things are good, good and glory and fine, everything's fine. But then all of a sudden things get worse and they're seven times worse than they were before. And the answer is you can't clean up your life. You need the spirit of God to come and fill you and possess you. So the first thing that we need to understand is the truth about demons. The second thing that we need to understand today, number two today, second point is the playbook of demons. How do demons function? What's their playbook? If you're ever gonna play against the opposite team, it's pretty good to grab a hold of their playbook, right? And see how they work. Great thing about demons is that we can study their playbook. We know exactly how they function and what they try to do and how they fight against us. There's three steps that the demons try to play. Three steps. Now. For those of you who really study the scripture, for theologians here, I'm gonna simplify these three steps for sake of time, okay? Here are the three steps of the playbooks of demon. Number one, distraction. Number two, religion. Number three, possession. In that order. The demon's first desire for every human is to distract them from truth. Right, they're really good. I mean, to them, we're like a dog, right? All we have to do is show a squirrel and the dog is like, squirrel, you know what I mean? If the demon can just get you to not focus on God and not focus on your eternal soul and not focus on your mortality and keep you busy with other things, he's already got you. The reason he already has you, listen, the reason he already has you is because you are already, though part of the family of God and whenever you are born as a human, your sin has separated you from God, which means your sin, if you've sinned, you admitted a moment ago, is dragging you to hell. The devil doesn't want you to deal with that sin, so he distracts you in all sorts of ways. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter four says. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now, now stop right here for a moment. Some of you might say, but I don't believe in all that. Of course you don't, you've been blinded. I don't believe in any of this. Okay, look, I love you. I'm trying to be nice. You're blind. You've been blinded. You've been distracted. The reason you don't believe it is because you don't, you don't focus and study the truth. You've been blinded. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. You're unable to see it. Why are you, what are you blinded with? Well, you're blinded with all sorts of things. You're blinded with hobbies. Right? You got so many things in your life that you've got passion. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in this. And the devil doesn't have to get you to curse God. He just needs to get you busy with your little hobby. You're already his. Some of us distracted with hobbies. Some of us distracted with sin. Right? God gets you trapped into some sin pattern and you're so obsessive over it. You worship that sin and you worship that situation. So there's no need to curse God because he's got you trapped with sin. Some of you are just distracted by life. I'm 41 years old, the older I get, the more I realize life is distracting. 
There's so many crazy things that happen. You know what I mean? This happens and that happens and you're so busy focused on all these things. And, and pe- I call people, I'll tell pe- people, I'll be like, hey, how you doing? Like, I'm busy, pastor, I'm busy. Yeah. We get distracted from the focus upon God. And so here's the demon's playbook. Number one is distraction. Now, here's what'll happen. If the devil can get you or a demon can get you distracted so that you don't focus on God and your relationship with God and your relationship with eternity and your relationship with your own soul for the future, okay, if he can, can't distract you, here's the problem. Every human, every human man and every human woman, deep down inside, we desire more than sin, life, and hobbies. We do. So deep down inside, there's this this drive inside of you. I know it's true of every single one of you. There's something that wants more. You want to know the supernatural. You want to know a God. You want to know some type of pattern for the spiritual world. You want it. And so that's step number two. What the devil does is say, fantastic. If distraction doesn't work for you, I'll give you religion. Oh, you want more? No problem. I've got 500 religious choices you can pick from. And now he's got you secondfold. I'm not gonna be distracted by the things of the world anymore. I'm gonna focus on religion. And so that's exactly what happens. He said, how do you know this happens? Because that's exactly what 1 Timothy chapter four says. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. See, demons create doctrine. They create religions so that they can present them to man as alternative choices to truth. And And he's got you. See, he's got you. I'm not gonna focus on hobbies and the busyness of life anymore. I'm gonna get serious about religion. Now, I gotta tell you, pastor, there's a lot of religions out there. So because I'm smarter than everybody else, more intellectual than everybody else, better than everybody else, I'm gonna spend the next 40 years of my life studying three religions and pick out which one I think is the right one. He got you. Why why study three? Why not 10? Why don't you study 50 religions? Why not a thousand religions? You can find them. This is what's so brilliant about our enemy. The brilliance of our enemy is like, good, yeah, you can't get satisfied with cotton candy anymore. You want God? Here's a plethora. Here's a billion gods. Pick them. And now you're out there because you're smarter than everybody else picking which God might be right. And before you know it, you're dead and you don't even know God. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and uh, it's one of those restaurants where there's too many things on the menu? You know what I'm talking about? I'm that guy, man. There's, there's too many things. I'm like, oh my word. And the whole table, they're ready. They're like, just order something. I'm like, uh, this looks so good. You know what I mean? I like to go now to a restaurant. You just go in and it's like, it's like in and out. You know what I mean? It's like, there's only a hamburger fries. I'll take that. And even the secret stuff, they don't put on the menu. They don't even put it on there. Cause they're like, just order and sit down. You'll like it. I trust, trust me. You'll like it. That's in and out's philosophy. Here's what happens with a lot of us when it comes to religion, and some of you are literally living this right now. The devil has you trapped for the next 10 to 12 years because in your mind, you're gonna study it all out. You'll be the first, you'll be the first. You'll understand all religions and then you'll know, and the devil's got you. So what the devil's playbook is, number one, distraction, number two, religion, and and then number three, possession, or oppression. What What do you mean, Pastor Josh? See, once he's got you, he can, I believe, possess you. Now, the reason I say possession or oppression is because it depends on if you're a believer in Christ or not a believer in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God has already indwelled you and the Holy Spirit possesses you. 
he already has you. Therefore, the demon, who is an evil spirit, cannot possess that which God already possesses, but what he can do is oppress you. He can, he can really mess with your life. You say, Pastor, you believe like in like possession, like people can be possessed right now? Yeah, but not like what you're thinking, right? The movies? <laughs> because you have to understand, these people who make these movies, they're not theologians, you understand, Right? They're entertainers, and they're great entertainers. They're great at what they do, but they don't understand demon possession. Yes, it is true that there have been stories of the way demons have interacted with mankind in possession, not only in the Bible, but all throughout history in different ways. But you understand that their, their methodology differs depending on the person as well as the culture. If somebody's demon-possessed, it doesn't necessarily mean that their head spins around or they can levitate eggs. You understand? Somebody could be absolutely possessed by the demon and the demon just gets them focused constantly on sex. Right, there's no projectile vomiting. It's just my life is all about sex and you've got a demon filled inside of you. All you can ever do is think about sex. Or maybe you're an individual and there's a possession of a demon inside of you and that possession of the demon is just focused fully on money and getting you focused constantly on money. It just fills you constantly. This greed just fills you constantly. And you're like, but where's the levitation of the table in the bed? Why do they need to levitate a table in a bed when they already have you with money? I've heard people say, I don't think demon possession happens today. What? But why? Because the demon is smart enough to use a different methodology for our modern intellectual society. So yes, the end game is possession or oppression. This is the playbook of, of the devil. Now, what have we seen such far, so far? The truth about demons, the playbook of demons, then number three today, number three, the truth about Jesus. Oh, this is what we've been trying to get to. I told you that there were three traps when we come to studying demons, didn't I? The first one was obsessing over demons and wanting to dive deep and find out more about demons. I'm gonna read 28 books about demons. The other one is to deny their existence. Have a little skepticism, cynicism. Put your head firmly into the sand. And I don't believe. Then there's the third trap. The third trap, and many Christians fall into this trap. The third trap about demons is that you are afraid of them. To which I ask, why? Why are you afraid of a pathetic, weakling little worm of a devil? Some of you even right now, like, oh, be careful. Be careful, pastor, where you go. Why should I be careful? Like David standing before a giant, I don't fear the giant because of who stands beside me. Look at what we need to see as it relates to this fear of demons. Number one, understand Jesus has complete authority, 100% complete authority over all devils and all demons. Luke chapter four, verse 36, this is the passage we just studied. Then they were all amazed and they spoke among themselves saying, what word is this? For even with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, then they come out. How does Jesus do it? Because he's in charge of them. Don't you understand? Like that's how it works. They're afraid of him. He's not afraid of them. You say, but that's Jesus. Did you know, we're gonna study this through the gospel of Luke. Now hear this, because some of you will think this is borderline blasphemy before you hear it. Some of you very religious types are gonna be like, oh, I don't think I, okay, relax, here it is. I'm about to say it. I know what I'm about to say and I'm gonna still say it. 
you can do greater works than Jesus Christ. Some of you watching on YouTube just turned it off right now before I can explain. Well, Jesus can cast out demons and Jesus doesn't have to be afraid of demons, but I'm just a poor little human who's been saved by the blood of Jesus. I don't have a collar on backwards. I don't have a theology degree. I'm not an exorcist. I can't. What are you talking about? Don't you understand? We're gonna see this multiple times in the gospel of Luke. Jesus looked at his disciples when they were amazed at Jesus's miracle working ability and said, why are you amazed at this? You will do greater works than these. The problem is that we, the followers of Jesus, are not picking up our destined power and authority over all of this realm. So number one, he has authority. Why are you afraid? Number two, number two, under this point about Jesus, he gives you a choice. He gives you a choice. To every Christian and non-Christian in this room, the choice is yours. To follow the path the demon has for you or to follow Jesus Christ. You say, but how do I fight against the devil? What do I do to fight against the devil? James chapter four, verse seven, very simple formula. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is how it works. Okay, we're about to correct some bad theology. Ready? Some of you grew up in a religious background like I did. Like I was in church, not when I was... 16 years old or six years old, but six days old, right? I'm like this baby up here, amen? I was ready to amen Jesus from six, year, six days. I was in church, and I, so I heard a lot of good sermons. I also heard a lot of stupid things. One of the stupid things that was constantly taught is this idea of be careful of demons. Don't open yourself up to the demon. You're like a house. We've talked about that, dwelling. You gotta be careful. You don't open yourself up to a demon. You never know. Did you watch a movie? What movie did you watch? See that movie you watched? It opened you up to a demon. No wonder things have been going bad this week. Oh, go through your books. Everybody needs to go home, go through all their books. If they got any books that might have the word devil in it, take that book, you put it in the fire, you burn it out. You got trolls in your home, that hair, that demon, that's demon stuff right there. I spent the night at somebody's house the other week and, and, uh, and there was a Ouija board under the bed. Demon gotcha. Did that light just blink on and off? Oh, you guys are good. They're back there. They're like, we're part of the sermon too. Some of you really are scared. You're like, maybe the demons are coming. And here's what happens. This is what happens. Very religious people, very religious. Look, I love you, but that's what's going on. You're extremely religious people and you think these demons are coming at you and you opened yourself up. I played cards. I played cards. I played with a card and now the demon's gonna get me. What are you talking about? The answer is not go home, search your house for anything that might have occultic tendencies and then burn it in the fire and then you're safe. The answer is draw nigh to God and he'll flee from you. You just go get closer to Jesus. That's the answer. Like, you, here's the analogy. You're a sheep, he's the shepherd. A sheep doesn't walk through the, the woods and like, I gotta find a wolf, gotta find a wolf. Where's the wolf? There's a wolf. I cast you out, wolf. No, the sheep just says, where's the shepherd? I'm gonna get really close to the shepherd because the wolves are afraid of the shepherd. 
practical advice for you. Don't go home and try to search your house for something with an occultic tendency. That is absolutely a red herring. What you need to do is just draw close to Jesus every day. Go to church, read your Bible, study the word of God. Make sure you go to small groups. Get involved in the word of God. Number three, the truth about Jesus. Number three, he picks dark horses. This is where we end. He picks dark horses. <laughs> Some of you not from Las Vegas. I was born and raised here. You get tired of my gambling analogies. You'll have to forgive me. But I am all in on these gambling analogies. You know what I mean? <laughs> See what I did? There? Some of you know, you're the sinners. You know. <laughs> A dark horse is the horse that nobody knows in the middle of the race is going to stamp it out in the end. Nobody would pick him. In fact, not a lot of people put money on that horse. Everybody thought, there's no way that one's gonna win. There's no odds on that horse. Nobody cares. It's a loser horse. This is the crazy thing about the life of Jesus, and you're gonna see it starting today and over the next four Sundays. Jesus loves, <laughs> he really likes this. He loves to pick the one nobody else would pick. He does it with demon-possessed people. That's why he picked Mary Magdalene, seven demons. That's why when he met that lunatic in Mark chapter five, you know, the maniac of Gadara, you know who I'm talking about? The nude dude with the rude attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, what? Read it, it's weird. He takes this guy and nobody would expect it and he makes him an evangelist that goes and leads 10 different cities to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus picks people you would never pick. And you know what's exciting to me over the next four weeks as we study this? I love this <laughs> because, because Jesus picks people like me. And maybe here today you're like, there's no way I deserve to be on Jesus's team. Perfect, you're the guy. You're the gal he wants. Some of you are still contemplating, I don't know. I know Jesus wants me. Let me think about it. You have no hope. Genuinely, you really don't. Not until God humbles you. And then when he humbles you, you'll say, God doesn't, I don't deserve him. And that's when he'll pick you. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this passage because of what it means to me and what it means to my friends here. I'm thankful that you have all power and all authority over these demons. I pray that we would trust it <laughs> and that we would pursue and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.